Hello and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm back in Palmerston, North New Zealand with the Reverend Ian Reid, Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, for another look at Mark's Gospel. Now, uh, Ian, today we're looking at uh, Mark chapter 10 verses 32 to 52, effectively the other half of Mark. Now, in what uh, Mark 10 rather, in what ways last week did we see that the kingdom was something to be given and not taken? What we see is kind of three three th- things addressed: divorce, children, and then we meet a young man, and all of them are about um, what the nature of the, of God's kingdom that it has to be received and given by God, and we can't work towards it, but we we need to. Uh, kind of receive it from God and you know nothing that we add we nothing that we have can add to it okay well let's look at verses 32 to 34 to start off with and uh, we talked you talked last week I think Ian about Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection in these passages and here he does again and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, what's the significance of the fact that Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem here? Well, Jesus has been... This is the fourth prediction of his death. Uh, and Jesus has been saying from chapter 8, we are going to Jerusalem. And that's what this is going to happen. Uh, and the disciples are kind of in denial, at least early on they're in denial. And you know, so that's where Jesus is going. He's going to his death. It's going yeah. to happen. And how are people responding to Jesus here? Well, yeah, in, in, in this bit what we're seeing is who are the people who are coming against jesus chief priests it's the religious it's a religious elite isn't it you know the chief priests the teachers of the law uh, people that should be accepting jesus are the ones who are actually rejecting him what does jesus tell the disciples there in verses 33 to 34 it, well it's pretty clear about what's going to happen <laughs> isn't it? you know it's kind of a, the bullet points of okay this is going to happen and then this is going to happen uh but Basically, you know, kind of that it's the, he's going to be put to death. And but the interesting thing is that you know, kind of you have that kind of tacked on towards the end there. That three days later he will rise again. They don't understand what is going on themselves. They they don't know why this is is significant. What Jesus is on about. They think that Jesus is kind of bringing this great kingdom in, uh, but Jesus will bring a great kingdom in. They just don't see how it's going to happen. Mm. Let's read on and see what happens. Verses 35 to 45. Uh, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, here we go, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. It's an amazing question, isn't it? And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. 
And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. Once again, we're back to the upside-down values of the kingdom. How do the disciples react to Jesus here then? They, they want to be rulers in the kingdom. Uh, and so they're kind of demanding of Jesus, hey, you know, can, can we, you know, we want to rule with you. Now, if anyone ever asks you, you know, kind of, can you, we're going to ask you something, but uh, you, can't, you can't kind of say no. It's basically what they're saying, isn't it? You kind of... Uh, um, you know, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's like, what? Why? That's a pretty big demand, isn't it? Yeah, it's just curious, isn't it? Uh, it's completely inappropriate. Anyway, um, so... Again, again, that's the taking, isn't it? You know, the, the, yeah. the taking rather than the giving. Mm, yes, oh, yes, yes, it is. And, and it sets up that, that, that they're in the wrong frame of mind of mm. what this kingdom looks like. Yeah, I, I suspect they think they know, that they realise what the answer is going to be, but they're trying to set it up so they get what they want. <laughs> yeah. What are James and John actually asking? So that they think that Jesus is bringing this kingdom of, you know, kind of where, the, where he's going to be the ruler of the, of the world or at least the ruler of Israel. And so they're asking to be his generals, you know, kind of. The, the ones who rule with him and are thinking, we'll have power, we'll have authority. Uh, but they're, they're totally in the wrong frame of mind of what Jesus is actually doing. What's the danger of this type of thinking for us today? Because we find a lot of this in the church. Yeah, and this is where we buy into the kingdoms of the world, that we think that Jesus gives us some form of power or authority over other people. And we've bought into, I think, you know, kind of, in big ways, the church is bought into this. We've bought into the kingdoms of this world uh, that we think that the church uh, kind of is about power and about domination rather than about service and about self-giving. Mm. Yes, I mean, how, my next question was, how is a desire for power and position a problem in the church today? I'm thinking just at the local church level rather than at the international church level. At all levels, it's a massive, it's a massive problem. I think one of the big things that churches have have bought into um, is trying to be relevant, you know, kind of to and uh, in a way that we're trying to say, hey, to those around us, you know, we're cool, we, you know, we 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 can be popular and be liked and loved. Uh, and what it's done is it's pushed a lot of that uh, kind of power on onto the leadership in the church, that, that we are the ones in authority, uh, we are the ones with the power. And it's just done the opposite to, to what I think Jesus would want us to do. I've seen so many power grabs in churches. It's unbelievable over the years. Yeah, and, and why does that happen? You know, you know what I mean by a power grab, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah where you know, kind of people take up, take, they see a little bit of authority and it's just it's anti-gospel like it's just it's so wrong um and you know you i i don't know why we do it but but we love to do it we want to we want a bit of authority over other people and ultimately what we need to be doing then you know kind of is keep preaching the gospel to each other and to ourselves in that hey i'm not here for my self-service which often these little things do 
I'm here for the service of others. Mm. How does Jesus respond to James and John there in verses 38 to 40? He's kinder than I would be, is, is probably what I would say. Because he, he, he doesn't just rebuke them in, in the way that he should, you know, or the way that I think he should. Um, but Jesus does his thing where he says, you know, verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. Jesus kind of looks past the resurrection and says, it's okay, you will get this, you just don't get it right now. Mm. So he doesn't rebuke them in the way that we think he would. No, he's quite understanding of, of them in, in a way, isn't he? Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. And, and in fact, yes, that's right. Why do the, now, why do the disciples react the way they do there to James and John? Because they get quite angry. They're annoyed that they didn't get, you know, kind of get in there first, I think. And so it's like, how dare you go and try and take the positions of power? We want those positions of power. I don't think they're any better than James and John. You know, that's not the, that's not the point. It's not that, that the other 10 get it and these two kind of don't get it. I think they all don't get it. Uh, and they're just annoyed that they didn't get in first. Mm. In what ways are the disciples far away from understanding what the kingdom is all about? Because they, they want to take power, they want to take authority, and um, they, want to, they want to pursue the kingdoms of this world. They, they just have not understood what the gospel is about. They have not understood what Jesus is about or what his kingdom is about. Yes. Uh, in what ways then is the kingdom all about service? Because that's what the Lord Jesus talks to them about, isn't it? So service. And in fact, becoming slaves, slaves of all. Yeah, just like himself, isn't it? Mm. And so, and this is the the irony of the, of the kingdom, that if you want to lead, what do you have to do? You have to, you have to give up yourself and become a slave and a servant to, of others, just like Jesus did. And which, which in this culture and the, these times is just is ridiculous. You know, it's not what anyone would ever think. I want to be a great ruler. Well, what I need to do is actually think about serving other people. The you know, kind of we, we have the you know kind of the term public servants and, and you know kind of we, we hear might hear politicians say I'm here to serve the people, uh, but that really only stems from the gospel. You know, kind of it, they may just be giving lip service to that, but. You know, that would never, in these cultures, would never uh, kind of fly. That that you only ever, you take and you, you know, you, you rule over other people. What Jesus is saying is just unheard of. Mm. How does Jesus give his life as a ransom for many? What does he mean by the word ransom? Yeah, that, this is one of the interesting things. Because this only appears in Mark, uh, this little bit. And... Um, and you know, kind of theories of the atonement have kind of flown, kind of come out of this. And I think it's a legitimate theory, kind of, or one of the legitimate theories of the atonement that Jesus gives his life as a payment uh, to to win something back. Uh, that we're held captive to Satan. I, I, I use three S's: sin, Satan, and self. Uh, that that we we're held captive to those three things, and that Jesus' life is a ransom. Uh, kind of is the payment to those things. Now, how it's a payment to Satan is kind of, you know, it's, there's some difficulties there theologically, but um, at the same time, it's a, he uses the word, he, he kind of introduces it without kind of uh, fully unpacking what it exactly means. In what ways are verses 43 to 45 there the key vision of what it means to be a Christian? You know, what does he say again? He's reiterating. What you must be, you must be a servant. You know, if you want to be great, what do you need to do? 
You must be a servant. He's not saying that you go and be a, be someone, you go and be a servant in a house or anything like that. He's saying the uh, the mentality and the kind of how your thinking is. It must be I am in this position to serve others rather than serving myself. Mm. Uh, and this is the problem that even a little bit of authority in our lives, we use it to serve ourselves, to serve our ego, or or to kind of fill up our insecurities. What Jesus is saying is that, no, 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 that, that, that is self-serving. What you need to do is see uh, that positions of authority are actually ways of helping other people. Mm. Let's come on and look at the last part of this uh, chapter. This is fabulous, this next bit, because we meet blind Bartimaeus, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Okay, now how does this poor blind man here contrast with the the spiritual blindness of the disciples? This is not the first time that Mark has done this. He he kind of inserts these characters uh, into the the narrative. Obviously, they're they're real people, uh, but he inserts it. You know, kind of after after points where the disciples don't get it, he does this on multiple occasions to illustrate that the disciples have not yet understood who Jesus is. And so he's, he's saying, I, I think what Mark does it kind of quite creatively is saying, hey, this blind guy gets it, um, but you you know you are blind like him, and you need to get it too. Mm. How how does the blind man exemplify the kind of discipleship that Jesus has been talking about? I love how he shouts all the louder when people... <laughs> yeah. you know, it's one of my favourite bits in Mark. It's just kind of like I disregard what everyone else kind of thinks and do my own thing. Um, he believes. He, he actually believes that Jesus is the son, you know, the son of God. That he, what does he say? Son of David, have mercy on me. He says it because he actually believes that Jesus is that person. He is this insignificant person sitting on the side of the road that nobody cares about. And, and what is he doing? Shouting, he believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And what's the significance of the fact that uh, Bartimaeus calls Jesus Son of David? It's interesting because just after this, we get the triumphal entry into uh, in, into Jerusalem. That you know, whether Bartimaeus knows it or not, what he's saying is that this is the fulfillment of the king coming into his kingdom, into Jerusalem to take it. And so whether whether that, you know, Bartimaeus realises exactly what's going on or not, it could be up for debate, but um, the significance, significance of it being in Mark is that at least Mark sees uh, that Jesus is coming to take the kingdom. Mm. How do um, Bartimaeus's words there remind us of 2 Samuel 7 and the suffering servant in Isaiah 42? Yeah, exactly. Well, 2 Samuel 7 being the, the promises to David... Uh, and what are those promises? I will establish your kingdom forever, and your uh, is it your son? I think will will 
you know, kind of rule eternally. Now, when you read that, you think that eternally there's a long time. <laughs> you know, kind of, it, it's it's no, you know, kind of, you know, your, your kingdom will be established for for generations or anything like that. It's it's eternally, and so what are we seeing here? We're seeing Jesus fulfill that that covenant with David, the Davidic covenant, by coming and entering Jerusalem, uh, and. What we're expecting is this kind of great and grand entry, and he's going to come and fight and you know, kind of um, be the ruler of Jerusalem. What that will look like is quite different to, to, to the reality of that, because and that, that's where kind of the, the suffering servant in Isaiah kind of comes it comes to play, isn't it? Is that rather than being this great grand ruler, he's actually is the suffering servant, and the suffering servant opening the eyes of the blind. Yeah. I think, yeah, which is what Jesus does. Now, uh, uh, how does Bartimaeus respond to Jesus when all this is done? Yeah, what does he do? Mm. You know, he, Jesus asks him, "What, what, what you, do you want me to do for you?" You think, well, that's a bit of a silly question, there, Jesus. But, but you know, Rabbi, I want to see, and you know, kind of go. Your faith has, has healed you. Immediately received your sight. Follow Jesus along the road. This is one of the interesting things that keeps popping up in Mark is that when Jesus says to someone, "Please don't tell anyone," you know. You know, go and go, or go and do this or go and do that. They never do it. Mm. Um, yes, he has the power to heal people. He doesn't have the power to control their, their actions. But what does he do? He follows. He, he follows Jesus. He knows where Jesus is going. You, you would you would presume. Uh, and you know, here we have someone seeing who Jesus is finally, uh, and going to follow him to his death. Mm. And this lovely little detail where he throws off his cloak there in verse 50. Now, what's the significance of the fact that Bartimaeus throws off his cloak, do you think? Well, that, that would be his one possession in the world. You know, he's this blind man, probably very poor. Uh, and so even when you, uh, if you uh, had debts, so if you're a poor person that had a debt to someone, they weren't allowed to take your cloak. Uh, and so the, the courts wouldn't allow that to happen. Uh, because you know, you're basically not only making them destitute, you're actually basically killing them. Because um, you know that was the way it was the way that you kept warm. It was the way you know, you you kind of were, were able to to look after yourself and you know in in that kind of climate. And so, what does he do? He throws everything off and, and goes to Jesus. You know, kind of the the one thing that you would never get rid of uh, is the thing that he throws off. Yes, and is there a contrast contrast there then between uh, Bartimaeus and the rich young ruler? Yeah, so you have the rich young ruler who Jesus says to him, you know, sell everything and come follow me. Uh, and what does he do? He goes away sad. And here you have the, the opposite, this poor man throwing everything off and then and being healed. But then what does he do? He follows Jesus after that. He does the very thing uh, that the rich young ruler didn't do. And so how does Bartimaeus illustrate the upside-downness of the gospel then? Because he does, doesn't he? Well, yeah, he does. I think he definitely does in that this, this kingdom invites people in who we least expect. Uh, so it's not about status. It's not about wealth. And so it, it invites the poor. It does invite the wealthy in as well. Like there's kind of the status has, has no place in this kingdom. Uh, and so that's something that, that we should be constantly reminded of, I think, is that uh, God is calling all different types of people uh, into his kingdom uh, and that the respectable people are often the people who are not invited into this kingdom. Sometimes they are, but usually they're not. Mm. 
Ian Reid, Reverend Ian Reid Rido of Kings Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston, North New Zealand. Thank you once again for your time and for this fascinating uh, look at uh, this part of Mark's Gospel. And thank you once again to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Ian, thank you so much. Thanks, Brent. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com. <laughs>